0: aloha what's up everybody this episode features miss chloe jane chloe and i got an opportunity to sit down not once but twice my win my good fortune and also my fault if i had someone to blame i absolutely would but it's my fault i screwed up the audio the first time and while the quality of this is not exceptional i apologize the content is it was a pleasure to sit down with chloe and get to know her even better than i already do and I think after this conversation, you'll feel like you know her really well also. Chloe is an exceptional woman. She's a professional figure skater, and the route that she has taken is non-traditional. I don't know that there's a traditional route to becoming a professional figure skater and skating for Disney on Ice, but the route that she has taken is unique, and I really enjoy getting to know her better. I think that you'll enjoy the conversation that we have. Uh, we can talk a little bit about her past, where she came from and what she has going on in the future. This woman is motivated, she is dedicated, and I think her future is very, very bright. Um, you can follow her on social media. Her Instagram handle is Chloe's on the Road, the blog that she carries and runs and operates. Uh, I post in the comments. And I want you to enjoy listening to our conversation as much as I did having it. It's always a pleasure having really exceptional people and not so ordinary people on this, and Chloe is no exception. So, sit back, relax, enjoy, and uh, get to know Miss Chloe Jane a little bit better.
1: We are live, so Chloe, thank you for uh, taking the time to speak to me. I appreciate it, uh, even though we are several time zones apart. No. Much appreciated. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, right, so. You have had the opportunity uh, already, unlike some of the early guests that I've had, to uh, hear some of the questions that are coming. And full disclosure, I sent a handful of them to you in advance because we wanted you to have some forethought and a chance to prepare maybe a little bit more than on the fly, right? Okay. So um, I am not only confirming that with you, but I'm also kind of trying to get an idea that, or <clears throat> let the listener know that... Uh, some of these are premeditated, but that's okay.
2: Yeah. Yes, we are all good with that.
1: <laughs> right. Chloe, so we're going to start, uh, as I do always, at the very beginning. Uh, tell me, where were you born?
2: I was born in Sevierville, Tennessee. It's a smaller town outside of Knoxville, um, Knoxville Tennessee. And um, I was born there um, after... My parents had gotten off the road and been off the road for a little bit, and then I grew up in uh, Seymour, which is another small town outside of Knoxville, and then um, later on in my life I moved to Farragut, Tennessee, and also just a little bit outside of Knoxville, just on the opposite side. So I've always technically been in Knoxville, so I guess that's where I say I'm from, because it's just all these little tiny cities around it that I've been raised in.
1: So when you're talking to other people, you just say you're from Knoxville, and everybody... It's
2: the easiest way to say it, because there's so many small cities around Knoxville that, like, Knoxville is kind of just central East Tennessee hub, that it makes it easy for people to identify it. Right,
0: that makes sense. Awesome. So then,
2: uh, if
1: you are from there, and you moved around so much, do you have any siblings?
2: I have two siblings. Um, I've got a little sister and a little brother. My little sister, I guess, technically just graduated because she's no longer in school uh, because of the coronavirus, which is very sad. <laughs> like, she just didn't get to finish her senior year, but um, she's out of school now. And uh, then I've got a little brother who is, um, he will be a sophomore now. So he's just a little bit behind us, but um, yeah, they're, we're all stuck in quarantine together. We're doing good, <laughs> trying not to kill each other, you know. Yeah, as siblings often
1: do, quarantine or not. That's, <laughs> well, that's yeah. Awful. Um, so tell me a little bit about your parents. I know you, uh, your mom has quite decorated in her own right, but maybe you can speak to that a little bit.
2: Um, so my parents were uh, both in the shows when they met. My dad was on crew, and my mom was a skater. But previously, my mom was a skater um, competitively for the UK. She's from Nottingham, England, um, and she uh, competed in through London. She trained in London and then competed for the UK for multiple years and was British world champion a couple times. And then she went on to do the Olympics in 1984. um, And that was the Olympics with Scott Hamilton, which most people are aware of in the States. Um, And then she, um, after she was in the Olympics, she didn't really want to stop skating. So she competed a little bit longer. And then she started doing shows. And then she. Eventually made her way to Disney, and then she met my dad. And my dad had done two years of university at um, UT Knoxville, Um, and so he had heard about the job through a friend, and then continued to pursue that. And he was a crew guy, and they um, they have kind of a cute story. Um, They met in Japan, and my dad was. He'd rented a jet ski for the day, and he, um, he was getting everybody out onto the water, and then he would throw them off as soon as he was out in the water with them, and then go back and grab the next person. And my mom was on at the water that day, and um, she was like, no, I'm not doing that, there's no way. And he, he convinced her, and he said, well, what if I don't throw you off, and you go on a day with me? And she begrudgingly said yes. So then, the rest was kind of history. Um, They got married in Jamaica, and then um, eloped, kind of. They didn't have any family or friends there. My mom rented her wedding dress. (laughs) Um, And then she and him settled down in um, in well, hmm. they settled down in but there used to be a warehouse here in Seymour uh, with Disney on Ice, so that's how they kind of knew the area and stuff, and since he had been going to school in Knoxville as well, it kind of just made sense for them to settle down here when everything was said and done, and they were ready to be off their own. That's amazing.
1: So your dad always grew.
2: He never skated then. No, my dad was never a skater. He, um, He grew up in Nashville, and um, the Predators were not as big as they are now, obviously, <laughs> but um, he uh, he grew up in Nashville and was kind of a music junkie, which I think I get a lot of my music love from him, um, but then he, uh, he'd gone to school at UT to do, I believe it was architecture, sorry if I'm wrong, Dad, but um, he went to school for two years at UT here, and then He uh, heard about a job through a family friend now and was like, "Um, yeah, (laughs) sign me up. So he was backstage, crew, lights guy, whatever he could get his hands on and did stage manager towards the end of their touring life. That's awesome.
1: So then your mother skated, which in turn, I assume, inspired you to skate, or were you kind of told that you were going to be a skater?
2: No, my mom, my mom never really forced me to skate. It's um it's kind of a blessing in a way because she never forced me to skate. She actually wanted me to try every other sport under the sun. So, but we found out every very quickly that I was not good at any other sport. Basketball, ran away from the ball. Tennis sucked everything else not great so uh, skating was always there it was my mom always says that I skate by default but at the same time um, it still is my uh, my choice to be a skater but it's helpful to have her in the same field
1: nice. Yeah, first of all. so um, you mentioned I think in previous because man the last time we actually spoke or we were face-to-face and with each other was in Paris right right so your mother was a coach, or your coach, or both?
2: Both. <laughs> she uh, she still coaches today. She uh, coaches uh, hockey and figure skating now. But with hockey, she more does like uh, skills training and stuff because she's no big hockey player. Little five foot two British girl can't really <laughs> get out there with the big boys. But she can definitely teach them how to stand on two feet and uh, beat their opp- opponents in the skating skills. Uh, way but she was my coach my whole career. Um, I bounced around to a couple other coaches but always came back to my mom because (laughs) it's just easier and better for both of us to kind of save a little money because skating is not a cheap sport and also um, just kind of expand our relationship in that way. Yeah absolutely.
1: Did you find in that uh, I guess relationship as you put it what was that actually something that strengthened it or was it a strain i guess more than anything because relationship with a mother and daughter i don't know how do you feel about that
2: um okay so that's a loaded question because 13 year old me uh i did not like it very much because i think that me being a first child as well it was very difficult for my mom and i to separate skating world from home world so i mean like for many years of my life i would kind of be resentful towards her because she was my coach and be angry at her because she was my coach and she would bring it home and have it at the dinner table you know and i would just oh it just made me so mad it made me boil inside but now looking back at it i have a very unique relationship with my mom and i feel that we're very very close and i think that that's because we were always so close uh in growing through skating in throughout my life, that it just, like, it's brought us closer together, and then, of course, me following a little bit in her footsteps has probably put that at ease as well, because we have so much to relate to and uh, communicate on, so it's it's pretty nice. I'm not about it now. (laughs) Well, Well,
1: good. I'm glad it came full circle and ended in a positive note man so then real
2: briefly i I don't
1: mean to you know continue to harp on this but if your mother's your coach
2: do your siblings
1: uh skate as well then
2: yes my sister is a skater as well and my brother plays hockey (laughs) so we're a full family on ice um we just couldn't help ourselves but my mom coaches both of them as well ian a little bit less closely my brother a little less closely because he has a team and a bunch of a staff of coaches to coach him as well through the game but um both were coached very closely with her.
1: Okay. So then, Mom did the whole Disney Ice thing. You obviously uh, have your accolades and, and prestige in your own right. Is there any motivation for your sister to follow in both of your footsteps? Or does she want anything um, to do?
2: Yes. <laughs> she, does really? to, yeah. she does want to go on tour at some point in her life, but she is very um, school-oriented, and I was not. Um <laughs> To put it lightly, I just was not interested in school. The only things I wanted to do in school was theater and choir and anything to do with creativity. But she was very book smart um, through and through. She did all AP classes, this, that, and the other, like all the smartical stuff. But she still wants to join tour because, I mean, in a way, I've said it before and I'll say it a million times, that touring is an education in itself. And she wants to be able to experience that because travel teaches you so much, Um, even just in the places that you go and the people that you meet through it. um, You really just start to encompass the world in a different way. And I think that it's very beneficial, especially for young people to do it. So um, she wants to go on tour. When will that happen? Don't ask me. I don't know right now. (laughs) None of us know right now, but... um, career in school that's awesome
1: I, it's really kind of refreshing I think that you know so many people go through the tour life and you know as well as anyone that you can experience it and, and it's not for everyone right like there are people that go on tour and just fall apart and just I want to go home this is not for me and mm-hmm. I mean not to shame them or anything because it's not meant like that but it's mm-hmm. they give up or leave very very quickly and I only say, the better the, the I guess my response is it's just not for everybody and that's okay right but how great of uh, I guess experience and example you and your mother are to have had such a positive uh, experience that hopefully she has an equally positive experience and uh, enjoys it so, maybe that's awesome. so you kind of touched on it a little bit but I'm curious uh, school work. yeah did you enjoy school? I mean, you sound like you were doing anything you could to get back on the ice or onto the stage or otherwise.
2: Pretty is much. right? right? Uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed school for the social aspect, is what um, I kind of have come to the conclusion of now being out of school. But um, I enjoyed it for the social aspect, and I enjoyed it to be in theater and to do choir and any art classes that i could get my hands on creative writing this that and the other i adored it absolutely adored it but when it came to math chemistry any sort of numbers not my thing not my thing and that's fine and i just was always a performer at heart so (laughs) i think that was something that was very telling to me when i was growing up that okay, you do not like school, (laughs) like, you do not really want to be here that badly, what can you do, what do you enjoy to do that you can make something of yourself, in and and that's when I kind of just completely um, changed my path in school to make sure that I was doing all the performance things, and then also... um, Getting on the ice and preparing myself for hopefully getting the job of my dreams. And here I am. I did it. (laughs) So I think that it worked. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Uh, So I'm curious if I were to speak to your classmates, (laughs) how do you think they remember you?
2: They probably don't remember me much. (laughs) Probably because I was not in any special clubs or anything. I would do the theater class and I would do the choir class and I would do creative writing class and stuff, but I was never in the after-school programs, because those programs took place after school. And where was I after school? The rink. Never was anywhere else. I was at the rink where I was at work, but one way or another, I was doing something to try and get a step ahead, and I just never took the time to do any of the extracurricular clubs. But um, I don't know, I, I think that through my school career, I changed very much, as as you do when you're in school, but um, my senior year was my favorite, as most people's are, but um, it was my favorite because I not only was looking forward to coming to Disney and um, having my contract and everything and being able to start my new life in that aspect, but then also I had been casted as um, Fiona in Shrek the Musical, (laughs) my high school Uh production. (laughs) had given me the the opportunity to do that because he he had known how busy I was and we'd actually went through a change of teachers as well but that's not important um but he had realized that okay you've got this other thing but I think you can do this like you've got skating but I think you can do this like this is something that I think that you've prepared for and you're ready to do something like this and so he kind of was the first one to kind of give me that true spotlight role and um shout out to Mr. Woolley if he's listening. (laughs) Um, But uh, he really, he really turned my confidence around my senior year. So um, I think that that was really helpful going into tour and kind of having a little bit of experience in the spotlight. It definitely was able to help me convert that onto the ice a lot easier.
1: That's awesome, especially because uh, one of the questions I was going to ask was if you had a particular teacher that stood out that was particularly intellectual, and I assume uh, it's Mr. Woolley, is that his name?
2: Yeah, Mr. Woolley was one yep. of my favorites, for sure, and then, I mean, all of my artsy teachers always, I was kind of teacher's pet in that way, but um, he was definitely uh, my most influential my senior year, so I am forever thankful for him giving me those opportunities that he did. Amazing. So,
1: we're going to get to it in just a second, but I want to ask before we move on. When you were a little kid, what did you think? Or I guess how ma- what I'm asking is, did you always know or think in your mind that you were gonna be a professional skater? Or was there ever a moment you were like, maybe I'll be a doctor, or maybe I'll be a teacher, or a surgeon, or I don't know, lawyer, you know what I mean? Or was that kind of just one-track mind?
2: The idea always bounced around, of course, because when you're in school and when you're in all these different environments with all these different people trying to do different things, you're always thinking about it but I think once I finished middle school that was kind of when I realized because I'd stopped competing at that point which is pretty early to stop competing as a competitive skater but I really just hated it (laughs) I hated competing so much so I um I told my mom I was like let's stop wasting money on this and start working towards me being able to have stage presence and be a performer and um she accepted that very willingly like I said she never forced me to skate so it was always a very open conversation when it came to stuff like that um which I'm very appreciative of but um I think that once I finished middle school that was just my kind of turning point of like okay this is this is the direction I want to go in because that is what I love the most so I had to pursue it somehow
1: (laughs) yeah no that's amazing so then let's pretend we're not you know all quarantined at home rewind a month or two ago, and someone asks you, or if someone asks you, Chloe, what do you do do for a living? How do you answer that question?
2: Um, It depends who's asking. If it's some stranger, um, I guess I would just say I work for Feld Entertainment because they don't really know what that is. Um, (laughs) Most um, people don't really understand that, and they're like, oh, okay, and they just think Entertainment Company and that's the end of the story. If it's my friends or colleagues or people that I've worked with before, I just blatantly tell them that I'm a professional figure skater for Disney on Ice, and of course that gets the wow reaction every time, which is kind of exciting because you kind of forget how exciting it is, Um, you get numb to it sometimes, but whenever someone reacts like that, you're like, oh yeah, I do this thing that makes thousands of people smile every day. I forgot, <laughs> you know, no, you can't forget, you just can't forget, but, um, it just, it just brings it back to that initial, like, reaction that you had whenever you get your contract or something.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. It's funny because your reaction to that question is very similar to most other performers, and a lot of times it's, and I don't know if it happens on Disney Nights, nice, but, like, in other shows, it becomes a bit of a game to <laughs> or A, make up a career or job, right, to the Uber yeah. driver, whoever it is, mm-hmm. and it just be as super vague as possible in hopes that the conversation will end, like you said, I work for Feld entertainment, and hope at yeah, the end of it, instead of, what's that, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, it, you just, I think you just have to be discreet with it, especially when you're in public or in strangers, because you don't know how they're going to react to that, and you don't know who you're talking to either, so like... There's very sketchy situations you could possibly get into if you just blatantly say it sometimes, but if they're digging and they're a mom or something, like, just tell them it's fine, but, like, if it's, if it's someone random that has control of a car, I would usually avoid it. (laughs) I would usually just try and just say Feld Entertainment and, that we're working at the arena that we're working at that week or something something random to try and just divert the conversation because obviously we'd be, for example, in that Uber and there's someone from Japan, there's someone from Russia, there's someone from the U.S., and then there's someone from, I don't know, from Canada or something, like, and they're just trying to like figure out why are all these different people in my car right now, you know? Which is perfectly understandable. I probably would have the same reaction, but uh, definitely. It's, I think it's for our safety more than anything. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, yeah,
1: for sure. Um, if you, because it has to have happened already, so maybe you can just kind of speak to a little bit about if it has. But if you were given the opportunity to speak to someone that's considering, I mean, maybe as your little sister or you know, an up-and-coming skater, someone considering this line of work, whether it be figure skating in general, uh, performing, competing, or otherwise, what? Would you tell them that would be? Would you maybe consider fighting? What would say?
2: Go for it. <laughs> just do it. I I literally couldn't give more advice that would be positive, other than that because it's like it's an experience that you'll never forget. You'll meet so many people from around the world that are just absolutely incredible. You'll get to go to places that you probably never would have gone to. I mean, you'll go to really amazing places like. In Europe and stuff, or you'll be in Des Moines, Iowa, okay, so but never would have gone there on my own, you know,
1: <laughs> so
2: I, think that, I think that there is so many things to be learned on tour and so many things to be learned as a show skater as well, um, compared to being a competitive skater, but it's more than worth your while, I think that it's so, so beneficial, to anyone who is considering it. Because if you're considering it, you already want to do it. You're just asking. You already want to do it. I know you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you just well. want confirmation. I know. You got it. Go. Just go. <laughs> you're
1: not wrong. That's... Right. Uh, so this next question is uh, a little loaded, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Because it's not something that's usually chosen by you. It is usually thrust upon you the uh
2: do any nicknames? Oh goodness. I actually have multiple <laughs> um, which is funny because it's like how would you how would you kind of like shorten Chloe? You know? Like how how do you do that? It's it's not a hard one. I mean like Chloe is easy. That's an easy nickname. Uh CJ, but then my so my performance director actually he, he would call me Siege which was CJ, but, like, I guess enunciated, (laughs) and it always made everyone else, like, wonder who he was talking to, but I always knew he was talking to me, um, my little sister, when she was young, she created a nickname for me, and it's Coco, because she just couldn't say Chloe correctly, so she called me Coco, but, um, Coco, Chloe, CJ, those are, I mean, Those are the main three. I guess I could come up with a couple more if I really thought about it, but those ones are the first three that come to mind, so I guess it's not that many, but in my head, I thought that there was more for some reason.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, So my curiosity, especially with your timeline, is where along there, if you can remember, because I'm presuming you can where along this whole path did you, or was there a specific moment or series of moments where, some, where it clicked and you said, yes, this is absolutely what I want to do for the rest of my professional <laughs>
2: um, This is actually one of my favorite stories. <laughs> um, I don't get to tell it often, so I'm glad you asked. Um, but so when I joined TOR, I joined the uh, show T20, which um, is what our abbreviation is for it, but uh, the show itself was called 100 Years of Magic, Um, and so I show up in rehearsals, and they're at Feld Entertainment Studios, and there's 27 new-to-show skaters, so the cast is about 49, 50 on a good day, so 27 new-to-show skaters was a lot it was a big turnaround five of us being 18 year old me being one of them and it was overwhelming and there were like they're throwing choreography at you and they're throwing costumes at you and they're counting at you and they're yelling at you and they're go 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 because you have two weeks you have two weeks of rehearsals and then you're on like you're on you're on stage you're in front of thousands of people and there's nothing you can do about it And so they're, of course, trying to make us be the best that we can be, which is perfectly understandable, but some nights I'd go home and be like, oh my god, what am I doing? Like, can I actually do this? I'd be, like, doing, like, steps in my head before I go to sleep every night, and it was just, it was crazy, but then... Our first city was actually Oakland, California, which is right outside of uh, San Francisco. And we played the Oracle Arena, which is the Golden State basketball arena, which is giant. If you've never been there, it's giant. I don't know how many people it can sit because that would probably make me nervous all over again, (laughs) but everyone always talks about that first moment that you're on. And for me, yes, that moment was special, but there was another moment that came after that that was my absolute favorite, that was my
0: my moment of,
2: this is what I'm going to do. And I think that that moment, as silly as it was, I was... In the kick line in our girls' number, which is uh, in our summer in summer song from Frozen. Um, we're all in these like ridiculous like bee dandelion butterfly costumes with mega sunglasses on that pretty much cover our whole face. But you know what? you're out there working it, you know, but we went out there and we did the number, and then at the very end, there's kick line because what showgirl number doesn't have a kick line. and <laughs> we get a kick line, and it's a complicated kick line, like, it's not just, like, kick, 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 kick. okay, you're done, you know, like, there's, like, pas and all these crazy steps, and stops, and arms, and this, and that, and the other, that you're having to hook up with all these other girls at the same time to nail it, and there was a moment that right after that kick line happened in the Oracle Arena, maybe one of my second performances ever, I ended, and I ended in my flex, and my butterfly costume, with my arms up, and I was just smiling like nobody's business because I did the choreography correctly. I'm like, did y'all just see that? Nobody else saw it, probably. Nobody else was looking. Like nobody else realized that that was probably the first time that I'd really gotten it right. Yeah. But I did. I did. <laughs> and I was so so happy getting off the ice that day. I was just like, this did not just happen. This did not just happen. I just did that, and that was the moment that I felt the audience in that moment and I felt myself in that moment and how happy I was and I was like, This is this is where I want to be. I'm supposed to be here. This is what I wanna do. I I love my job right now. (laughs) Like I love my job. So I think that um it's really important for every performer to have that moment and whether it's the first moment that they step onto the ice or the stage or whatever, I think every performer will have that moment, but that was So that's so nice.
1: Uh, it's just uh, uh, to have something like that where you can not only almost relive it, but in times of trial or stress or whatever, you can kind of refer back to that and recall it. And of course. I, I'm watching you, re- you tell the story for the listener. You know, this is via video, and you can just see. You know, this <laughs> light come on, right? You you can see what how, how influential that moment was and, and I can't imagine the amount of times you must have gone back to that for inspiration, motivation or otherwise. So that's a big deal. Um so, you know, when we talk about life on the road, you and I are keenly aware and most of the listeners that probably have done something like this or continue to do it, are aware, but to the non performer, non touring person, you know, your life is go, 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 and you travel and you're doing all these things, but you do still rehearse. You still train, right? So when you get a uh, time on the ice, what what does that feel like? What is that like? What do you do to train for this show? Because this is obviously all choreography. It's not you're just not making stuff up and freestyling. So maybe you can walk me through like a, a training session and how do you go about that?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, it definitely varies for every person. So mine is definitely not a staple of how it should happen but um before or after shows is usually when we get our uh, our open ice time is what they call it and sometimes they'll even narrow it down to make sure that it's not crowded with people and call it understudy ice so people who are going into understudies that weekend or something can um, go in and practice peacefully <laughs> um which is very nice as well but um normal practice session for me um my first year it was always in the morning <laughs> my second year I turned into a night girl but that's just because I learned I liked sleeping in a little bit more especially on the three show days um and so it's about 30 minutes to an hour depending on how much you sign up for and I usually I'll get on the ice and kind of do my laps, kind of do some of my exercises to kind of feel it out and feel the space in the arena as well because that definitely can affect the way that I feel on the ice sometimes because if I feel that things are so far away like I have a hard time I guess with the depth perception of everything so I kind of just take that time to breathe and pour myself up and make sure that my feet are under me before I start you know crazy stuff so and then i kinda transfer into um kind of more footwork stuff either whether it's choreography in the show or choreography that I've made up myself just for fun for the sake of warming up and then um I'll kind of transfer into spinning and jumping and making sure that all those things are still intact because what most people don't know is that I'm not out there jumping and spinning almost every day it's only a once in a once in a while occurrence or it's every show occurrence it just depends on the day of what your um what your role is and then so i have to make sure that they're ready to go no matter what so um i'm always practicing those uh, on those practice ices and then after that with whatever remaining time it's either play time or um it's buckle down and run a program time or um run one of the pieces of choreography in the show so um that is my normal, and then I kind of get off and take my skates off begrudgingly and then <laughs> stretch it out a little bit and um, call it a day if it's a night session or get ready for the show and put all my makeup on if it's a morning session. so
1: During all of this, you probably, like most, get to be DJ, right? Which is something I've noticed <laughs> observing and watching Open Eyes. <laughs> so, yeah. Who's your go-to? What's your What's your playlist look like?
2: Oh, man. My playlist, I kind of try and keep it upbeat because otherwise it's, like, putting me to sleep on the ice and it's making me want to get off the ice. So I usually try and keep it pretty upbeat. So I guess the last few um, few albums I got? No. I guess the last few songs that I had on my Skate Your Butt Off playlist um, probably was, like, some Lizzo, you know, and um, maybe some some PG drink or something, <laughs> um, you know, like, the the stuff that keeps you going, but also, like, has to be PG, because you don't know who's in the arena, and you're a kid's show, so you've got to be straight line, <laughs> but, um, yeah, some Saint Motel or random stuff, like, I, I, don't, I don't have that playlist right in front of me, but, I mean, always just try and keep it upbeat, because then your energy keeps flowing, and you feel like you can continue session even if you're dying of sleep deprivation. (laughs) Yeah, seemingly is all the time. Uh, Most of the time, yeah.
1: (laughs) You know, I won't lie, being uh, from Tennessee, I'm surprised you didn't uh, throw any country in there.
2: See, I get patronized. (laughs) (laughs) I get patronized when I put country on on the ice, so I divert from that a little bit. Um, I I will throw one in there if it's Country song that nobody really notices it's country, so it's just kind of like on the down low. But um, I actually hated country for a really long time in my life because I lived in Tennessee. I was like, Gosh, I hear it everywhere. I would get so worked up and angry because I just didn't want to hear it anymore. And then uh, I actually had a boyfriend that kind of turned me, he, he changed me. He was like, no, you gotta listen to the good stuff.
1: Type is there for a reason, right? I can mean, I understand. It's okay. <laughs> so, uh, so I want to ask some of the questions that we got into that I kind of fed you, right? Sure. Uh, and some of them I think are very telling, and I'm curious if you could identify or if you were able to. Because uh, one of the questions has to do with failure, right? And I say, I ask, like, how is a failure, or what most people would view as an apparent failure, set you up for later success, or maybe a favorite failure
2: of yours? Did, you, did anything come to Yes, Yes. Um, I think that my failure also turned into a benefit, so I guess it did turn around the way that you're asking. Um, but like I mentioned before, I never really did any like, after-school activities or anything because I would go skating, but um, I was always still focused on school, and then I was, unfortunately, I didn't want to be, trust me, but I was always focused on school, and then... I also worked a lot when I was in high school. Um, I got my first job when I was 14 um, and haven't stopped until now. So um, I was at one point working three jobs in high school um, in one semester. I think it was my junior year, too. So that's one of the hardest years in American school to, um, to be putting yourself up to, because that's usually the time where you're having your hardest classes. Because once you get to your senior year, it's not so hard. You're having your hardest classes you're pushing yourself the most because colleges are definitely looking at you. But I wasn't going to college, so I knew that I wasn't going to college, but I still wanted to do well, and I still wanted to, like, not fail a class or something because that would not be fun. So um, I think that I was less focused on school in a way because I was working, and then I was also less focused on skating in a way because I was less focused, and I think that that kind of took me back and made me – not be a triple Lutz kind of skater or a huge jumper kind of skater or a huge skilled kind of skater even. I think I'm a good skater, but I don't think I'm as good as I could have been if I wasn't um, preoccupied with so many other things. But taking a step back, now looking at it, and again, going back to when I told you that there were five other 18-year-olds that joined the same year as me. I feel that I had had the advantage in a way of, I knew how to treat myself professionally. I knew how to act professionally, and I knew how to treat people within my career and within my, um, words, within my, um, you can edit this part out because I'm losing my mind. Um, uh, I think people within my cast and crew and everything, I was, much better with communicating with them because I'd been in the workforce and I understood um, how to uh, withhold those emotions and stuff that you get when you're mad at someone for telling you what to do so much or something, you know? So um, I think that, yes, it was a failure because I wasn't a triple axel, triple let's, triple anything kind of skater, but at the same time, that was never my goal, and... I think that my goal was achieved so and i think that it gave me an advantage later on with uh joining tour everything so yeah. mm.
1: and absolutely that's massive the life skills that come from being asked to to do those things whether it be a you know, dishwasher or buster <laughs> server with newspaper raw babysitter whatever <clears> those, <throat> those are life skills that translate and it's It speaks to you as a person that you were able to take that skill or those learned skills and translate them beyond just that setting and say, oh, I know how to do this because I've done this in the past or whatever the case may be. That's massive. Um, In addition to that, my curiosity leads me to another question, which is along the lines of of maybe things that you've learned along the way, mantras or, or whatever the case may be. So the question I posed was, if you could have a giant billboard and we're talking like millions or billions of people are going to see this. And you, I say, all right, Chloe, I'm going to make yours. Put whatever you want on it. What does your billboard
2: say? I think my be- bill. Be- <laughs> Losing my mind again. I think my billboard would say something along the lines of "Do not be afraid," because I spend a lot of my life being afraid of other people, afraid of what they thought of me, afraid of how they perceive me as well, because um, I, I cared a lot about my appearance and a lot about my, um, my standpoint within my community, and I realize now that it doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it does not matter, and I think that fear was what was holding me back for so long. And there's so many different kinds of fear, and so many different kinds of fear archetypes. But I think that if you were to narrow it down to just one saying on a billboard, it would just do not be afraid, because it's it's something that's so so simple but so surreal to so many people that it can hold you back from really becoming or wanting to become someone that. Um, you really want
1: to be. <clears throat> really
2: good.
1: Can you tell me about, <clears throat> how do I sass? Is there something absurd or an unusual habit you just love?
2: Um, oh, goodness. I think that mm, my, okay, I think that my unusual habit is, like, studying different people in a way. Um. <laughs> like their mannerisms and I study the way that they speak and I study the things that make them laugh you know and I really enjoy that (laughs) I don't know if that's like creepy or weird but it's something that I definitely do pretty much for everybody I just kind of start to profile them in a way but it's not biased way or anything I don't profile them into one category or something I just am profiling the person as one person and trying to make sure that day I know how to make them laugh or if they're tapping their foot they're nervous what's going on you know like I, I kind of have always been a little bit of a people person my mom tells me I'm a social butterfly and that's just the way that I am so um I think that that's part of the reason I start to pick up on mannerisms like that and it's I guess absurd and weird because not I don't know if anybody else does that but also I don't talk about it very much so maybe everybody does it and I'm not weird at all I don't know <laughs>
1: that will be interesting to see the feedback because I do get feedback about the episodes that I do. How many people say, "Oh, I probably do the exact same thing, right. right?"
2: You gotta tell me. You gotta tell me. Slide into my DMs. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> tell me if you do that. Because if you God, do, thank so... you. I'm not alone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, that's incredible, though. I I think that while that's probably you know not creepy, but something that I don't know that you would or should tell everyone. That it makes sense because a lot of people do that but maybe they're not cognizant of the idea that oh I'm picking up on these things whether that be you see someone that you find attractive and you're like oh I'm going to pay extra attention to that or I want to be her or I want to be him and so let me see what he or she does and how they act (laughs) I think that's very normal so while you may feel like it's absurd I would be impressed if there weren't a lot of people sitting
2: you're profiling people and trying to figure out what makes them upset <laughs> like, so that I can just be there if they're upset, you know? Like I just well, want upset. You you do
1: it with the with the best of intentions, it sounds like, right. which I think anyone that knows you that's listening to this immediately <laughs> is going to go, oh, I, I wonder what my profile looks
2: like. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, I've said too much. They're all going to ask me. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh,
1: God. Well, so we'll change the subject a little bit because right. I always, I like this question when I saw it and I started asking it because I find it's applicable to most people. And it has everything to do with the idea that it's attainable for anyone. So what is something recent for you, let's say the last six months, that positively impacted your life that cost you less than a hundred (laughs) bucks?
2: Okay. Hundred dollars, or maybe a little less than a hundred dollars. Um, were my Bluetooth headphones don't don't sue me, people. Um, if yeah, they're my favorite. <laughs> um, I I just really like with traveling and everything, and with uh, being very active and stuff. It uh, my Bluetooth headphones have helped me with a lot because. Um, like I said, when you're on those open-ice sessions and stuff, sometimes you want to be running the same piece of choreography over and over again with the music, but you don't want to annoy everyone else on the session, so you just put those little headphones in, and you're no longer being annoying, which is really nice. But also, like, you're constantly on the move. You're on buses, you're on trains, you're on planes, you're moving all the time, That you don't have time for wires. You, you don't got time for it. Like, it's just, like, an extra hassle. So being able to just put your headphones in, plug in, focus on what you got to do, get through the airport as fast as possible, (laughs) and not, and just not have to worry about things just, like, piling up or getting caught and being torn out of your ears, I think my Bluetooth headphones might be my favorite, (laughs) favorite purchase.
1: Amazon purchase, or did you go to Best Buy, or?
2: No, I went to Best Buy, (laughs) um, I went to Best Buy, um, so it might have been a little bit longer than six months ago, sorry, but, um, it was, I think it was like a, birthday present to myself or a christmas present to myself or something because i was like i'm gonna do it i'm tired of this <laughs> i'm tired of my my crappy yeah. apple headphones that i had that just would fall out all the time and i couldn't it's like you can't skate with your phone in your hand and like try and listen to music at the same time it's very difficult so I highly recommend i use beats beats sponsor me please um <laughs>
1: the last five years, is there a new belief, behavior, or habit that you feel like has most improved your life?
2: Oh, goodness. That, that's a difficult one. Um, I think that my, my simplest answer to that would be taking into consideration, um, who I'm talking to sometimes, and to kind of dive a little bit deeper in that. I think that um, with being on tour and um, meeting so many different people from so many different cultures and so many different homes that you really have to kind of sensitize yourself to those situations and not generalize people as a whole and um, be conscious of your uh, conversations with them sometimes. And I'm not saying that you have to change your personality to speak to people. That's definitely not what I'm saying. Don't do that. But (laughs) I think that being able to... um, To censor yourself to their sensitivities as well, because of their cultural or family backgrounds, um, has been very important. And I guess so, if that qualifies into what you're asking, I think that that would be my answer. Because um, I just I just know that sometimes people don't do that for me, and um, there are certain things in my life that when someone brings that up, um, it is very sensitive. So. Um, I never want other people to feel that way, so I guess that would be my, my go to.
1: You know, that's very telling. And I only say this because I think it speaks a lot to you, not only as a person, but as a genuine mm-hmm. human being, that it takes a lot for someone to internalize the idea that that makes me uncomfortable and hurts my feelings or makes me happy and lifts me up or whatever the case may be. Right. And recognize not only recognizing it, but then being able to flip it and say, I want to be that positive influence, or I want to avoid being that negative influence on others. And so I'm going to do my best to not necessarily modify my behavior, but be aware of it. So I think that's a, a great behavior that that uh, has positive influence. To There's probably a lot of people that are incredibly grateful for that as well.
2: I hope so. <laughs> and if I've ever hurt anyone's feelings, I'm sorry. <laughs> I try not to. <laughs> I
1: oh, prob- yeah. Man. Well, you know, I, I feel like you talk about so many different things and life on the road can get crazy right. and you're kind of building on each year, right? In theory, you can say, okay, how can I improve from this year to the next? If, if tour continues at some point, presumably it will, whether it's with Feld or another company, mm-hmm. do you set goals with uh, any kind of measure of this is the, what I want to be in the end? Or is it more along the lines of this is what I did last year and this is how I want to improve? Uh, and what I'm asking is are, are there your goals that you set, because I, I know you set goals, are they more short term? Short term? Are you looking like much further into the future, and and how do you approach that?
2: I think when it comes to show skating as a whole, um, I think that it's very, I don't want to say spur of the moment, but I think that it's very uh, moment-to-moment, because once you kind of get into the whole process, and... You're either casted as a specific role or you're casted as an ensemble skater, which that's what I was casted as. So you have to kind of audition, again, for those understudy roles that you want. So once you are kind of trusted with one understudy, you can be trusted with another one. And then once you're trusted with that understudy, you can be trusted with another one. And it's always a growing process, and it's always a building block process. So I think in my head that once I've, okay, I've accomplished Dory, like, what's my next role? Okay, I've accomplished portraying Little Bo Peep. Okay, what's my next role? You know, and you just continue to kind of grow in that sense until you're at a comfortable enough position where either you can't grow anymore or you're comfortable with that and you're okay with that or you are always working and always trying to grow in different aspects. But then in a working aspect, I think that, for me, I do see long-term, ter- um, so this all happening and everything kind of blowing up, it did kind of leave me in a little bit of a distraught phase because I I had planned on skating for a lot longer, and then I'd also planned on, and so I'd love to go back if the opportunity ar- arises, but whether or not that's going to happen, we all have no idea, and then if I were to go back, I would also want to continue to work my way up in kind of our PR department and be involved with like the media that we do with the company, and then work my way up to continue to um, to continue to be kind of the face in um, portraying the Disney magic of everything. So um, that's kind of what my long-term goal was um, with the company. Without the company, right now, I'm kind of focused on, um, improving my Instagram feed, as weird as that sounds, I know it's crazy, but, um, I have made money off of my Instagram before, and, um, this is something that is very new to me, so I'm trying to, um pursue that a little bit more and kind of write some brands and work with some different companies that I either already support or have reached out to me in the past and I just have never pursued them fully and then start to promote their products and their um, clothing or whatever it is that they're selling and then in return I get profit or benefit from following your promotion through them as well. So um, I'm starting to kind of go down that avenue right now just to kind of keep myself busy and also kind of have a backup plan if show skating does not continue after the virus.
1: Well, I think it's a really good idea, especially in, in given your history of being able to take a job and the skill set that you learn or continue to learn. And I guarantee you'll be able to apply that now whether it be in PR or whatever that's right. So yeah. there's something be said for uh, <laughs> pursuing those things, whether they're crazy or mm-hmm. not, I think um, mm-hmm. you've proven that you can take that skill and, and translate it to something positive. So that's really good. Well, <laughs> uh, I only have a few more questions left, but one of the questions that I, I like asking, because I think a lot of people um, seek this and I'm curious, you as a professional figure skater, how you translate this. So when you feel overwhelmed, or unfocused, or you just maybe temporarily lose focus, how, what do you ask yourself? How do you get back in the, the zone, as it were? Or how do you get back into a place where you feel like, okay, I can do this now?
2: Um, I think that, I mean, that, again, varies whether or not I'm on tour or not. But when I'm on tour, uh, it was a very uh, personal process. Um, I Some people kind of are like, oh, I need to go out and be social to make myself feel better. But for me... I am kind of a lone wolf at heart, which is funny because all I've told you this whole podcast interview is that I'm a social butterfly, but when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I do need that self-awareness time, and so my, like, go-to thing was to always, on days off or something, find whatever the best coffee shop was in town go sit down, have coffee by myself, either read a book or listen to classical music um, and just kind of zone back in and kind of write things down if I needed to or call my mom or something that would try and make me zone back in, feel a little bit better and also have that me time that I'm not relying on other people constantly. That's awesome.
1: It sounds like something that even off tour
2: When this virus is over you bet i'm gonna be at my favorite coffee shop <laughs> yeah. i will be there and i will be sitting there for probably a few hours because i will need it after this quarantine do
1: you have one uh, at home you can speak to
2: that i do oh. um it's called honeybee coffee okay. also through me please <laughs> um but they have two locations in knoxville and i going drive from my house, so it makes it very convenient for me. They actually, it's really cool, they actually turned it into, um, it's an old, like, uh, car shop, so, like, they've got the garages and everything at the front of the building still, and then you just go in the door, and then they've got all that natural light coming in from the garage doors, but then also they've got all these windows and just this very, very open space and all these just different awesome designs and seats and stuff that you can sit alone if you want to, which is my favorite, obviously. And then, um, but also, when it's really nice outside, they'll open up those garage doors. And so it's just fresh air flowing in the whole time. So fresh air, coffee, sitting by yourself, listening to good classical music. I'm set. That's perfect. <laughs> That's
1: a good plan. Get right. your cafe fixed. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, not that long ago, I mean, we're talking the last couple months here. The, the dean of Pace University, uh, James Linton, passed away. Uh, he used to host a show called the Inside the Actors Studio. And I always reference it because I give credit where credit is due. And also, these questions are completely plagiarized, right? right. But <laughs> he stole them as well from a French guy, Mr. Pervaugh. And uh, so I don't feel any measure of guilt in <laughs> imputating them. But I'll ask okay, you them anyway. Shins. Yes, I like asking them and I find them uh, you know, particularly telling, I suppose. Um, so I don't want to to read too much into them, but I'll ask you anyway. So well we'll start with the first one. Tell me, what is your favorite word?
2: <laughs> um, okay. This is kind of a stupid answer as well. Um my favorite word <laughs> is super califragilistic expialidocious. <laughs> and I have saying that on public record, but, um, <laughs> it is my favorite word, but I think it's my favorite word because I can spell it, and I also really loved Mary Poppins as a kid, so. Uh,
1: so then, this oh, that makes me wonder, what's your least favorite word?
2: Okay, less silly. Definitely, definitely less silly. Um, I think my least favorite word is can't, and I've probably said it a hundred times in this podcast, so please don't get mad at me, but um, I uh, I think that it's my least favorite word in certain sentences because if it's like someone is saying that they can't do something, they can't overcome something, especially, um, it really upsets me because I know that people have more potential than they ever imagined. I know that I probably have more potential than I even have an idea of, and I think that once the people start changing that word of can't into like something like i will try like instead of i can't do that i will try to do that it definitely changes your mindset and changes your point of um point of action and action can be the one thing that you need to kind of overcome that i can't or that fear that you're feeling because you feel that you can't do something
1: the next question is what turns you on you what motivates you what turns you on
2: what gets you oh, there we go I like I like what motivates me a little bit <laughs> um oh goodness I think what motivates me is just to keep going and I know that's really cheesy but I think to keep going and to keep working and to continue to have kind of even if it's busy work, something to keep me um, on my toes and keep me um, thinking about other opportunities or other um, situations that my life could go into, I think that that kind of keeps me motivated. What turns you off? People who aren't motivated. (laughs) think that people who are lazy and unmotivated really, um, don't know their potential, and that is something that, uh, definitely turns me off, so, (laughs) um, in your words, not mine. (laughs) exactly. Uh,
1: what? Man, I always get crucified for this, because moms hate it. What's your favorite curse word? (laughs)
2: Um, oh goodness. Um, I think, Probably have to be. Mm-hmm. Bomb? <laughs> um, probably because I say it every time I. Huh?
1: It is more popular than you know.
2: Alright, well, I say it probably every time I stub my toe, or any time something inconveniences me, even just a little bit, and I just get frustrated or something. Um, but that would probably have to be my, my go to. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. No problem. What sound or noise do you love?
2: Um let's think. Sound. I was gonna say something skating wise because yeah, but <laughs> I won't because um I'll try and defer it to my other things that I love. Um I think I love the sound of the piano the most. Um really resonates with me just because that's my kind of go-to classical music i think but also whenever i just hear someone playing the piano or it it, i don't know any example of someone playing the piano or even me just plugging away the couple songs or notes that i know or can remember (laughs) um i think that that would be my favorite sound just because it's so relaxing to me
1: it's uh, very soothing especially someone. sound or noise do you hate?
2: Okay, with this one, I have to make a skating one, because I do hate this noise more than anything in the world. Um, so, like I said, I started working very early, and my first job was actually at our rink, and I was just kind of an all-over-the-place front desk, skate guard, concessions, whatever, clean the lobby, mop the floors, clean the bathrooms, whatever. Not the most thing in the world. But I was 14, so I can't really complain. So I, but one of the rules was you can't go outside in your skates. And, like, obviously most people are like, yeah, of course not. Like, why would you go outside in ice skates? You'd be surprised. (laughs) So um, there were always people during public skate that would kind of, like, sneak out to the front door to, like, either have a cigarette or make a phone call or something, but they would still wear their skates. And the skates sound. On the concrete, it's probably one of the worst sounds in the world. Just hearing someone try and walk on the concrete in metal blades. Like, imagine just this, like, 200-pound man on top of skates walking around outside smoking a cigarette or something. It's, oh, my gosh, it's the worst. And then when you're 14 and have to go yell at that man, that's not fun either. But (laughs) my least favorite sound.
1: profession other than your own of course would you most like to attempt
2: um i think that because going back again oh my gosh i keep going back to things that we've already talked about but i think it's because i'm a blabbermouth um (laughs) uh going back to what we talked about about my weirdness that i kind of profile people in i think that sort of psychologist of some sort what kind of psychologist don't ask me but I think that uh, being uh, able to help people and communicate with people is something that I've always loved to do so I think that um, talking with people and communicating with people in a way that is kind of in a therapy session almost or like a, uh, a psychologist and studying the way that people think and why they do these things and why they have these actions I think that that would be something I would like to do, so I guess somewhere along the therapy psychology line.
1: Yeah, that is congruent with your empathy for a lot of people, and it makes sense. Yeah, I think you do. really that. <laughs> in what, in what profession would you not like to attend?
2: Mm. Oh, goodness. I don't usually think about this because it's something you don't want to do. <laughs> Mm -hmm. If I were to have to think about something that I really wouldn't want to do, I would probably be working at a theme park. I know that sounds crazy, but like, you know, like one of those people that sit there and like press go on the roller coaster or something, (laughs) or like sits at the concession stand and like smells like popcorn all day or something. No, I don't think I could do it. (laughs) I think that might be, that, that would be probably the worst for me, just like sitting still pressing a button all day. No hate to people who love to do it, but I just don't think I would be cut out for that. That's okay. No problem.
1: (laughs) Finally, whether you believe in it or not, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you
2: People and I've always wanted to do the best that I can, so I think that um, that you've done well would would
1: suffice. I think it's great, especially uh, it's to the point, right? Right. Normal confusion there. No, (laughs) I would hope not. Not at all. Well, I can't thank you enough uh, for taking the time to speak to me. I I find every single guest I have just fascinating, and there are no exception there. It's a blessing to have been with the company and been <clears throat> doing what I do for as long as I have, the amazing people that I come in contact with. Uh, and like I just said, you are no exception to that. And, uh, and I appreciate uh, you being willing to speak to me here. Um, awesome. Well, I, I think we'll let you go.